Good morning. It's good to see a few uh, new faces and a few faces we haven't seen for a couple weeks of the holidays. Welcome to City Bible Church. Really glad that you're here. Uh, my name is Ben. I serve as pastor. Here's my beautiful wife, Rebecca. For those of you that are new, we would love uh, to meet you. Uh, if you don't have uh, a Bible today, we have a few extras we'd be happy to put in your hands. So if you'll just uh, wave, we'll be happy to um, put a, an extra Bible in your hands. This is City Bible Church. And uh, so we do uh, take um, the God of the Bible very seriously. Happy New Year. It is uh, good to see you this morning. I'm so glad that you are here. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 6 this morning. Uh, it's where we left off uh, last Sunday. We're going to go to Matthew 6. And we're starting off the new year with a focus. Um, one of the unnerving things about driving with ice is that sometimes your car will go in a direction you don't want it to. You know what I mean? That's a problem. But generally speaking, your car should go in the direction that you're focused, Right? Where you're looking, where you're steering the car, that's where it should go. The issue of focus is a really important one. And Jesus knew that we would need help with this. And so he had things to say that are important. And we have just recently been talking about Jesus, a focus on Jesus. How many of you think that's a good idea? And I, I want to just highlight, we had just recently gone back to the story of what occurred and what we call Christmas, and I want to just kind of highlight uh, a little bit of the transition that happened just after that. Just after Jesus' transition, if you will, from childhood and adolescence and into adulthood. We're going into a new year, and I think that uh, even though the lunar calendar isn't spelled out in the scripture, that idea of seasons is definitely a God idea. I mean, God certainly is the one who created the sun, the moon, the stars. It is certainly the moon that affects the tides. It is certainly God's order of things that set about winter for a purpose and spring for a purpose and summer for a purpose. Somebody say hallelujah, right? And... Um, fall for a purpose as well. The idea of seasons is a God idea. And last Sunday we were talking a little bit about how closing the chapter on one year, opening a new chapter on a new year is a God idea. Resolutions and things of that matter, though they may be kind of human variations, there is no new thing under the sun, right? We just kind of made that transition from the holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's. Thanksgiving is such a good time to stop and just remember what you have to be grateful for, right? It's a good idea. And Jesus celebrating the birth of Jesus, hope without end. And even in New Year's, which has been kind of a funny practice for a lot of people, there is a God idea when we go to the living God, the God who created the earth, who is the one who makes all things new. How, how many of you would like to have a little bit of something new in your life, right? We've been having babies in this church. We've got a lot of new things. We look at this. How, how did Jesus start something new? How did Jesus start this new transition from a private life into a public life? Well, at the end of chapter 3 in Matthew 6, well, just before that, you see Jesus chooses 
to be baptized. He's baptized with water. At the end of uh, chapter 3, we see he goes through that water baptism. And then what does he do? He's led by the Spirit into the wilderness, beginning of chapter 4, to be there. He was tempted by the devil. But there he went through a time of 40 days of prayer and fasting. And walked through that journey. Now what's interesting to me is the, the way that this transition goes. Because remember, we learned something from how Jesus did everything. After his baptism, he came up out of the water. The heavens were open. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and setting on him. A voice said from heaven, this is my dearly loved son who brings me joy. It's a public announcement. And what does Jesus do? He goes into private. He has some one-on-one time with God. There's something for us to learn there. Now he comes out of the 40 days. He meets his, his first group of disciples, and then we have the famous, what's called the Sermon on the Mount, starting off in chapter 5. It goes straight on through um, chapter 6. Of course, Jesus wasn't numbering his words. Uh, this is Matthew that, or excuse me, this is later translators that added these numbers. But all the way through uh, 7, Matthew 5, 6 and, 6, and 7 is the most intact Uh, teaching that we have from Jesus, the largest chunk of teaching. He starts off with, blessed are the poor. Right? These famous words of Jesus. But in the context of these words, blessed are the, blessed are the, he begins to talk about everyday life and real life and how do you deal with anger and all these other things that couched in this, we have some powerful statements. He, he talks about the blessings that will be poured out on them because they are his followers. He says, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. He talks about their cravings and their desires and their need for more of him. And in that context, that's where we have chapter six. And so I just want to read chapter six together. Are you ready? Okay. So this is Jesus talking in the middle after all of the blesseds. Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins. As we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But 
If you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they look miserable and disheveled, so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face, then no one will notice that you're fasting except your Father, who knows what you do in private. And your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. But your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad... Your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For your father, your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon, in all his glory, was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Amen to the words of Jesus. I love Jesus. I follow Jesus. I want to learn from Jesus. We have a few one-liners in this chapter 6 that are often quoted, but I think can be taken out of context and are not helpful. So let's talk about the context of what Jesus is saying. And this is an unusual Sunday, and I apologize in advance for those of you first-time visitors. This is a church family Sunday where we're going to speak very specifically to those of you that consider this your church family. Maybe one of the most memorable passages here is where Jesus says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Now Jesus here before this and after this, uses this very specific Greek word, first. It means first in rank, first in value, first in importance. It's like Jesus texting you in all caps. Check this. Watch this. Look at this. This is important. He might not have been like an LOL or OMG kind of person, but he would have been all caps. First would have been all caps. It's an important word. It's a specific word. 
that he uses. And a lot of times I think once we kind of get over the hangover of the holidays, if you will, and, you know, for me, I definitely kind of have had to go through that with having to travel for a funeral, right, on New Year's and all the craziness that followed with that. It takes a while to kind of shake off the dust, clear the cobwebs, look at this new year. And I do think it's healthy sometimes to take stock and to think about what happened last year and to think about what should happen this year. It's a perfect time for us to consider what are the things that Jesus said first. Pay attention. See, Jesus knew that not everything in your life is of the same value. A lot of conversation about food this month, right? You ever heard this phrase, empty calories thrown around? You know, one of the reasons why fast food is so addictive is so high in high fructose corn syrup. High fructose corn syrup is something that actually tricks your body into thinking that you're not as full as you really are. That's a byproduct of it. High fructose corn syrup is something that makes you happy. But what it causes you to do is eat food that's overprepared, too much preservatives, too much high fructose corn syrup. And what it is, is it's high in calories, but low in nutrition. Now, I love to eat, and I do like junk food, so this is sad. But it's true. That's where we get the phrase empty calories, right? Empty calories. High in calorie, but low in nutrition. A lot of us are thinking about what we eat this month. Jesus knew that not everything in your life would be of the same importance. There are some things that need a first, right? Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. Now it's in that context that we get this almost Bob Marley-esque, don't worry about tomorrow from Jesus. I have 365 occurrences in Scripture of don't worry or fear not. We're commanded not to worry. There's one for every day of the year. Don't worry. But in that context, what Jesus is really saying, three simple phrases that are easy for us to miss. When you give, when you pray, when you fast. This is Jesus describing the normal Christian life. And what saddens me is I meet a lot of people that have logged a lot of hours in church but don't understand this. This is to be the normal Christian life. When you give your time, energy, and money, which we do, we're a generous church. When you pray, which we do every time we gather here and in our homes. When you fast. That's the context in which Jesus says, focus. This is first, seek, and don't worry. Now, doesn't that sound like an oxymoron? I mean, you don't hear a whole lot of self-help people, talking head people on TV, people tweeting, people writing books, blogging. You don't hear a whole lot of people combine those things. Are you listening? Right? Seek, focus, and don't worry. Jesus is just different. But it's in that context that Jesus says, don't worry, seek first. But it's in that that he says, when you give, when you pray, and when you fast. Now, I I have to be honest with you, in, I'm not sure how many years, 16, 17 years of ministry now, I've, I've been around people and helped people with some pretty horrific 
scenarios, but I have yet to see someone whose life is dominated by a self-destructive craving that was giving, praying, and fasting. The two don't go together. Jesus says you cannot serve two masters. You're either serving yourself or you're serving Him. Now, we'll talk briefly, what is fasting, what is it not? Well, quite simply, it's when you go without food to pray. Now, just going without food is starving yourself. Going, out food, going without food to pray is fasting. Going without food to pray to Yahweh is fasting from a biblical perspective. Now, what Jesus says here about giving, about praying, and about fasting is that it's not for show. These activities are not for you to show off, for you to get a good reputation. It's meant to be private. Giving, praying, fasting are private. That's what he's saying here. And it's meant to be a personal interaction. You giving of your time, energy, and money. You praying. You fasting, going without food in order to pray. is meant to be something that has a personal reality for you. Not to be an empty pagan practice. Not like uh, rubbing the genie's lamp. We're not meant to interact with God in a superstitious way. Don't babble on and on when you pray. Now, that's the main point of what Jesus says. I want to go a little bit deeper today and explain in a little bit better detail what fasting is overall from a biblical perspective. It's going without food to focus on God. Now, throughout the Bible, and Jehoshaphat is a good uh, example of this, uh, for the sake of time, just refer to briefly. You may have heard the phrase, the battle is the Lord's. Well, the battle is the Lord's is a phrase that comes from Jehoshaphat's story where God shows up and says, I got your back. Okay, the battle is the Lord is God's way of peeling back the heavenlies so that they could see the armies, the angels. Look, I've got your back. The battle is the Lord's. But what happened there, Jehoshaphat's story, as it did with Ezra, as it did uh, with Daniel, as it did at the times of many others before them in the Old Testament, which is the practice with which Jesus was referring to, was where the believers were gathered together and they would fast at the same time knowing that each other were fasting. Now, there were different pr- purposes for this. A realization that we've just gotten too far away from God and that there's sin that needs to be confessed. We need to request God's forgiveness. Sometimes it was that there were outside forces. There were socioeconomic factors. There were disease factors. There were things that occurred where the people of God said, something's got to change. You ever feel that way? Now, as I've started my chronological Bible reading, read through the Bible in a year program, and I'm reading Genesis and the story of Genesis, and at my grandmother's funeral and my grandfather's Alzheimer's so advanced, kind of mourning both of them at the same time, you know, I'm th- you know, go through that grief process, that grief process is a worship unto God, because think about this, we don't know if we were born designed to live eternally in these physical bodies. Why? Because of the curse of sin. Adam and Eve, right, eat the forbidden fruit, the curse of sin comes in, now death enters the equation. Now the curse of labor enters the equation. But guess what? They were still living more than 900 years. It wasn't until we fast forward in the story to Noah and his sons and all this that God says, y'all just too wicked, I'm going to cut your life down to 120. And we're not even getting that anymore. The second law of thermodynamics, everything is in a state of decline. 
So death and separation from family members was not God's design. The first two murders in Baltimore, New Year's Day, a father and a son. The drive-by, the police have no clues. Mourning this violence, mourning the loss of the death of a loved one, is in a way worshiping God because we are agreeing with God that it should not be. When you are frustrated in your life, with yourself, with someone else, it can be in a way a worship. It is God bringing, allowing the sorrow to bring you to a place of it should not be. And some of us need that, a season. See, the ancient calendar, of which the Jews still recognize some, it was Yahweh God who orchestrated, who designed, who architected that the year would have seasons of feasting and seasons of fasting. It was God who said, you need to party. And there's much that needs to be said about that. And so the practice, no matter what the origin of Thanksgiving and Christmas and birthdays and other things, can be a godly practice of feasting, of celebrating good things. But a church who feasts together should fast together. The people of God would come, whether it was repentance of sin or outside forces, socioeconomic disease, for different reasons. They would come together as one group and said, we will for a period of time not eat, not consume, not take part in normal activities for a season as a way of expressing that God, nothing in this world is as important as you. I will go without good things that he created for a period of time to say, God, nothing in my world is as enjoyable as you. So, tomorrow, to the 26th, we go into this season. Fasting is an emptying of yourself. And we need seasons of this. You know, doctors recommend that you get a checkup. When was the last time you had a checkup for your spirit? If you think that you're full, how can God pour anything else in? If you think that you're full, how can God pour anything else in? We choose to go without food for a period of time to afflict our soul is the old word that got twisted into meaning something perverse in the Roman Catholic Church. But it's a biblical idea to afflict your soul. You know, the practice in the ancient Christian calendar of Lent, the 40 days leading up to Easter, we don't practice that, but we do this in the beginning of the year to follow those principles. The principles of Lent are private discipline. Self-control, prayer, reflection. I've written about this. You can, if you go to our website or benmolman.com, you can read an article about this to kind of familiarize yourself with this. It's a God-given idea for us for a series, a season of time to empty yourself. When do you pour everything out to examine what's good and what's not? Because what happens with human nature, with the normal course of life, is that there's mixture. Right? I mean, what happens when a hose is laying out on the 
on the grass in the summer and you first turn it on. There's a mixture of warm and cold water, right? You never take a drink right away, right? But over the course of a year, it's normal for there to be mixture. Some of it is good things. There are times where we have good things in our life that are consuming our time and our energy that God is no longer asking us to be a part of. When do we stop and just say, God, what do you want me to carry? See, if you're at a place in your life where you're starting to feel cloudy, your vision is blurry, your spiritual vision, you can't see clearly, you're losing perspective. It's possible to have too much of a good thing. Maybe you're still doing something that God gave you for years past, but He's not asking you to do now. Maybe it's just normal, good human interaction, stuff that's fun, enjoying, enjoying food, enjoying relationships, enjoying the good things that God has put in your life. But when do we stop and empty ourselves and pour everything out and let God be the first one who pours in? So what we're really calling our church to is a season at the beginning of the year. See, there's a Bible, and I don't have time to teach it this morning. There's a Bible principle of firsts, okay? Jesus saying, seek first the kingdom of God. You go back to Adam and Eve in the garden, and what happens with Cain and Abel? They bring the first fruit of their labor as an offering unto God. And what is the first punishment after the fruit that God gives out? The first punishment is over wrong motives on a first principle. It's why we give the first, Sunday is the first day of the week. Praying in the morning is a great practice. We give the first part of our year, the first part of a month, the first part of a week, the first part of a day to God. It's a principle. Now, some of us work nights. Some of you can't, you know, it doesn't always work that way, but it, there is a principle. It's not a legalistic thing, but there's a principle of firsts. I'm going to give first to God. I want Him to be first. I want to make sure that what God wants for me is the first thing in. Because who is He? He's a God who offers me salvation. He's a God who offers me a clean slate. He's the God who makes all things new. He is the God who forgives my sin. He's the God who wipes away the past. He is the God who's not asking me to relive the past. Come on, are you excited about that? I'm excited about that. My sins will not be visited on me again. God's not running down the list of my mistakes. He is a good God. If that's who he is, I want him to pour in the first things into me this year. I want him to be the one who tells me what I should do this year. So fasting, going without food to focus on God. Fasting with prayer. Now this can be partial. Okay, What I mean by that is that this can be you just don't eat certain kinds of food. This can be full where you go down to just water, maybe water with a little bit of juice or clear broth to help you. Um, but maybe it's just no sweets, no meats, like Daniel did, or Daniel would go all just vegetables and water. There's different ways of doing it, okay? You can do one meal a day. You can do one meal a week. You can do one day a week. Sorry, I don't want to rush. Let me go back over that. There's different ways of doing this. You can fast for one day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You can fast just one meal, breakfast, lunch. 
But if you're not praying, it's not fasting with prayer with focus on God. It will be miserable. Now, it's going to be miserable physically regardless. Hello? Solomon wrote, of human desire, there is no end. You're not going to stop getting hungry. And the first few days you're going to have headaches and feel like garbage because your body starts to break down the toxins. Your body breaks down the toxins that you feel and you know if you get a headache right away that you, you need this. The Hippocratic Oath comes from Hippocrates, who is the original doctor who wrote about the benefits of fasting. It slows the aging process. There's medical benefits to this. You can fast in different ways. In the Bible, we have examples of three days, seven days, 14 days, 21 days, 40 days. You can fast activities. You can stop. For me personally, I always cut out any other source of media, right? I'm cutting out social media, cutting out TV, cutting out uh, extra music or, or whatever normal stuff so that I have more time to focus on God. Are you with me? Now, I get it. This can be a completely weird and foreign concept to you. I get it. And I know this can sound really intimidating. And you may have already given up. You might already think I'm crazy. Listen, I get it. I understand. I used to feel that way myself. Okay? I understand. And listen, anytime I did this for the wrong motives, it was terrible and there was no benefit. If you do this with the wrong motives, you will not benefit. If it means something to you, it will mean something to God. Let me, let me try that again. If it means something to you, it will mean something to God. But don't do it for show. What did Jesus say in Matthew 6? Don't do it so that other people notice. Now, you don't need to be weirdly private. We're doing it together. Okay? And you want to go slow. Take your time. Ease your way down. There's a lot of different ways of doing it. Go one meal. If you've never done this before, just do one meal between January 6th and January 26th. And then just give more time to pray than you normally do. Does that sound doable? Is that okay? You can eat an hour later. You know, but just start, start with something easy. Start with something you could do. Now, real quick, let's talk about a couple of benefits. You're going to see results. Your appetite is going to change. There's actually medical research that shows that this will break an addiction to fast food. You'll see a change in your devotion. You will see a change in your spirit and your mind of removal of clutter. And you will see an increased sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Let me rephrase here. Fasting removes distractions, concentrates your life on God, cleanses your soul, empowers your spirit man, deepens humility, intensifies our prayer, and feeds your faith. But it definitely produces Self-discipline. When you stop doing something, you will find out real quick who's in control. That craving or your spirit. Where do you want to go this year? This year will be the same as last year if you don't change what you do. It's the definition of insanity. Doing the same thing and expecting different results. That's what some of us do spiritually. I'm so spiritually worn out. I'm so frustrated. I'm so stressed. I'm so... Well, you can't go into this year the same way you did before. Some, It's time for change. 
God will enable you. He will give you grace. It will be amazing. You give more time to God. He will always meet you. Please take the time today. I've posted online, really easy to find. You go to our Facebook page, okay, or Twitter, whatever. You go to find benmalman.com where I've posted some reading material, some things for you to consider, some scripture. Rebecca posted some links to some free books that you can read during these 21 days. We start tomorrow. We finish on January 26th. We break our fast together after church with an all-church lunch to celebrate the third anniversary of the church. We're going to feast together and we're going to fast together. Does that sound good? Now, we haven't done his story, her story yet. I didn't forget. I've asked Julie Neal to come. Julie, if you'll come now and share a part of her story with us this morning. I know she's nervous. So, will you just welcome her as she comes this morning? 